How are we doing? Good to see you. Good to see you this weekend. want to welcome all of you who are joining us at the Long Point campus and want to give a special welcome to those of you in the upstate in the campus, especially Asheville, Greensboro, that are joining us on the internet right now because you guys were snowed in and iced in. And we want to welcome you guys and uh, glad that you could come along for the ride on the internet. And those of you who are joining us at a podcast or on the internet as your normal service, you uh, want to welcome you as well. And to all of you at the other campuses, you didn't get snowed in, so you're at your campus, so good to see you too. Aren't you glad you weren't snowed in, aren't you? Okay. Well, uh, what a great series it's been. My name is Sean Wood, by the way. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, if we've never met before. And this has been a great series. I'm honored tonight to be able to kind of wrap up the Why Aren't You Dead Yet series. And uh, this weekend, and this week especially, it kind of brought some of the significance that I've been learning over the last several weeks as we have answered that question several times. Uh, kind of brought it to, to uh, just a pivotal point in that it was my little boy's one-year birthday this weekend. We had his party on Saturday and uh, just a great time of, of looking and seeing the life that, that has gone by so quickly in this first year. And then a month ago was my little girl's four-year-old uh, birthday. And so as I looked, I thought, Life goes by fast sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, it, you kind of blink your eye and you realize that four years has gone by and that my little buddy is, is now a year old and, and he's growing up and, and it's just life goes by. Sometimes it feels like at this pace that, that you can't even catch up with. But what I've realized during this series is we have answered this, why aren't we dead yet, uh, several times and looked at different reasons for why we aren't dead yet. What I've realized is that there's a reason that we aren't dead yet, and however much time we have left, no matter how fast it goes or how slow it may seem to go sometimes, that God knows exactly how much time we have left, and He has a purpose for us here on this life, in, in this life. In fact, Pastor Greg walked us over this last several weeks to see that we indeed have a purpose for our lives, that God uniquely created you for a reason, and he wants you to carry out that reason in your life. And you do that, as we saw, through community, through real, authentic community where we live life with one another and we, we experience things together and we get dirty together and we serve together in real, authentic community together. And then we saw that we, we, we get that purpose, that we live in community, and, and we're able to go after it because we put our time and our talent and our treasure into that thing that God has called us to do. And I don't know about you, but over this course of this series so far, as I've been able to examine why I'm not dead yet and really think about the reason that God still has me here on these, this earth, it has begun to really change my life. It has begun to change the way I look at things in the paradigm. And, and I'm just praying through a lot of things in my life and going, is that is that the reason that you're here, Sean? Is that why you aren't dead yet? And really starting to examine that. And so we have an opportunity to do that again uh, this weekend and to be able to look at why aren't you dead yet. There's one more reason. If you've made it to week four, you still aren't dead yet. So let's see one more reason why you aren't dead yet. You're not dead yet because you are a worshiper. You're not dead yet because you are a worshiper. Listen to le the language in Romans 12, 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
I want you to circle that word worship in that verse. It's a very important word. Because what Paul is using here is the language of worship. He's talking about sacrifices and and a holy and pleasing offering that we do it in view of God's mercies, in view of what God has done for us, that we then have this act of worship. Even more to the point, if we are dead yet, here's what I know about us. We were created for worship. We were created Literally made for worship. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not for, for your own. You're not for your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our bodies, God created the very bodies that we live in to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. We were created, we were put together, we were knitted together for worship. Now, some of you may be like me, and you look at your bodies, and you go, wow, this is the best God could do with, with a temple? I mean... It seems like maybe some of you as like me are getting a little older and and you go, it seems like the value of the temple is depreciating. It's kind of like the housing market in in the United States right now. But you know what? As we look at this uh, language of the Old Testament and we look at what the temple really was, it, it starts to, we start to see our bodies in a different view and a different paradigm because God created them to be a temple. In fact, if we look over the Old Testament, just a study of the Old Testament, what we see is the significance of the temple as a place of worship. And that can literally change the way that we believe and and, and view our bodies as we start to see what God thought about the temple and the, the tabernacle and the place of worship in the Old Testament that Paul then alludes to the fact that our bodies now in the New Testament are that place. The first thing that we can see is the way that the temple was built and then cared for quick study of the Old Testament, you find that a tremendous amount of resources, including time, talent, attention, and treasures or money, were devoted to the building of God's temple. And it was based on the care and the building of it was based on very clear instructions from God. In other words, God had a lot to say about how to build and then how to care for and maintain the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament. I had the privilege, as some of you know, of writing a couple of those books that I was able to write uh, was called 200 Pomegranates, an audience of one. And in that, I studied the uh, King Solomon's temple and the way that it was built in 1 Kings chapter 7. And as we take a look at that, we see that there was this intricate detail that went into the building of the temple. Um, Amazing amount of resources that went into the building of the temple. In fact, as you can tell by the title, even the, the number of pomegranates that was carved on the columns outside of the temple, God said, this is exactly how many I want. This is where I want you to put them. This is exactly how I want the temple to be built and cared for. Because God was very, very involved in the details of what the temple and the tabernacle would look like. In fact, in the tabernacle, uh, they had to, the uh, details had to conform to absolute precision with no deviation. Each object had to pass crucial inspection before the Hebrews could transport into the tabernacle. And so as we look back over the Old Testament, the temple and the tabernacle, we see that God 
in the building and the care for this temple and this tabernacle put a lot of detail and a lot of care into it. He was concerned about it. And then Paul is telling us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then you look at the detail that God talks about that temple in Psalms 139. Psalm 139 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. He says, you knew exactly what my frame was going to look like. You knew that my body was going to be built this way. If it was going to be big boned or little boned or short or tall or large or small, you knew the very frame and how you were going to build my body. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. God knew about you before you were even formed. He knew the very way that he was going to create your body. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, God knew the answer to why aren't you dead yet as far as how long are you going to live. He knew that before he even created you. And when he created you, he created you and I and these bodies to be a place of worship. And he put great detail into that place of worship. When God made his temple, in the Old Testament, when he made the temple and the tabernacle, It was a place of meeting, a place where you could meet with God. And when God made this temple, he made a place where we could meet with him through the Holy Spirit. And the temple of the Holy Spirit is somewhere that he chose our bodies to be that place of meeting. And so it's very clear that God created you and he created me to be a temple of worship, to be a temple for the Holy Spirit. And he created us for worship. The question is that this temple that we have is what will be worshipped inside of this temple and with and through this temple. It's not a question of whether it is a temple. It's very clear that we see the creator of the universe created these bodies to be a meeting place of worship, a place of worship. The real question is who or what will be worshipped in this temple? In the Old Testament, they would travel the tabernacle around. It was literally like a tent and they would travel around with it. And wherever they went, the worship would happen. And so as we have our uh, temples now, we travel around with them. And as we go to these places, I have to ask myself, when when I'm in different areas of my life, when I'm in different locations and and serve different roles in those locations and serve different uh, purposes in those locations, does the worship of God happen in those places? Because we are like the tabernacle. We travel, whether it be to work or gym, the gym or at home or or at church or on the, the ball field. Whenever we are in all of those places, wherever it may be, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what is being worshipped through our temples? What, what comes out of our bodies in, in, the, in our words is an act of worship? What comes out of our personalities and, and what we would say, you know, it comes out in anger or in joy or what, what comes out of us that is an act of worship? Is it a place of worship to the true God who made us to be that temple of the Holy Spirit or do we begin to worship other things, because I know about us that we were created to worship. But the second thing that I know about us is we are drawn to idolatry. 
just as a natural bent to our very sin nature. We are drawn not to use this temple to worship the Holy Spirit and to worship through the Holy Spirit to worship the true God. But we are drawn to idolatry. Now, when you hear and I hear the, the word idolatry, we, we think of a little wooden statue that, that you know, natives or ancient people would, would sit somewhere and they would, they would worship this little statue or they would cast something out of bronze and, and they would personify this as a god and they would begin to worship it. And so we, we have this, this kind of thought in our mind of what idolatry is. And for most of us this weekend, we're not going to struggle with, with going home and setting up a little carpet and putting a little idol there and, and starting to worship it. That's not something that most of us battle with this weekend. But I think that we are, myself included, all drawn to idolatry if we start to look at idolatry in a different way. You see, idolatry is the worship of something or someone other than God. The worship of something or someone other than God. When we place our affection, when we place our worship, our adoration onto something or someone other than God, we are beginning to be drawn to this this idolatry. And so the question, and I have to ask myself, is this temple of the Holy Spirit that God has created and created the place where I can meet with Him, is it the temple of, of God or is it the temple of Sean? I mean, is it a place where I use to worship God and I use to express adoration to God or do I use this temple to express adoration to Sean? And I don't know, probably most of you are a lot more holy than I am, but I see a lot of times in my life that it becomes the temple of Sean. I mean, I look at all the ways that I can be happy and please myself and how I can begin to use any, my body towards me. And what's best for me, not what's best for you, but what's best for me. And then how, even more so, how can you help and, and maybe you could worship me too. In fact, we could just take a moment right now and you could do that. I mean, you could, you could begin to worship me because I do a really good job at it. And maybe you're the same way. You say, you know what, yeah, if you put it that way, I, I do struggle with idolatry. I struggle with putting my affection or my worship on something or someone other than God. Here's a couple of ways that that begins to work out in our lives. First is addiction. Worship or something or someone other than God oftentimes will show itself, show its ugly head through addiction. Ed Welch, who's a Christian counselor, says that addiction is a self-inflicted enslavement to an idol. It's a self-inflicted, we choose to worship this idol, enslavement, we're shackled to this idol because we've chosen to sell our soul, if you will, to this idol. And addiction is simply that, it's the worship of an idol. With addictions, we actually use our bodies, these temples, as a place of worship to our idol. We perform worship acts, we perform sacrifices to this idol. Think about it, if you've ever been around someone or maybe you are someone who right now or have in the past dealt with an addiction, we perform acts of worship, of sacrifice. We sacrifice our families on the altar to our addictions, these idols. We sacrifice our money. We, we, we lose our fortunes as we make sacrifices to this idol on the altar to this worship act that we're doing. We sacrifice friendships and we sacrifice our, our peace 
For many of you, even right now, as we talk about this, you say, you know what? There's an addiction in my life and it has robbed me of all of my peace. I have no peace in my life. In fact, all I work, think about, all I can, am concerned with and I'm wrapped up in is trying to figure out the next way I will make a peace offering to this idol and a worship act towards this idol. As we look through the Bible, we see a lot of addictions that are pointed out as idol worship, especially through the Proverbs. We see sex addiction. We see food and money and drugs and alcohol. And then some that we don't see in the Bible, but we can see now that's prevalent and had some of the same principles or technology and TV and all these things that become addictions in our lives, things that we set up this altar for. And the temple that God has given us that is a place of worship, a place of meeting, we begin to worship and have acts of worship towards these idols. I think about the amount that has been sacrificed and lost to these addictions. The amount of people that for sexual pleasure, for a very short amount of time, have sacrificed everything long-term gain on this altar of short-term gain. And they've seen their whole lives destroyed. I've seen people in my life and, and even in my family line, I've seen people who have let the addiction of alcohol destroy their lives. They've sacrificed everything for this little God in their life. And you, just like me, have seen people who've taken this, altar, this uh, idol of money and they, they sacrifice everything. They say, we'll work harder, we'll work longer. We'll sacrifice our families, we'll sacrifice our peace, we'll sacrifice everything for this little idol of money. And this is, what this is, is it's an act of worship. We are worshiping something or someone other than God. And we think that something or someone other than God can fulfill a need in our lives that only God can. And so there's this self-inflicted enslavement to this idol. And there's this worship of this idol. Another way that this can begin to show itself in our lives is kind of the opposite is, is that of, uh, of this obsessive addiction is, is often sloth or laziness. Sloth, the Bible calls it, and laziness, some translations would call it. See, even as good to your enemy as you destroying your body through overuse of any substance or being highly addicted to something would be that you would sit on your altar, a.k.a. your couch, and offer your idol little sacrifices of Krispy Kreme donuts and, and, and Oreos and laziness over and over again that you do nothing. You see, our enemy is not concerned with how we waste our lives. We can waste it with addiction and be worshiping that idol or we can waste it with laziness and not do anything. He's not concerned with you not doing anything. That suits him just fine. And so if he can get us to worship at the altar of laziness and sloth and become just as someone who you know, is down in our, in our bedroom at 23 years old playing video games still and never does anything else and just sits and, and is getting to the next level and that's all you're concerned with, the Bible, I mean, the, the enemy's fine with that. He's just fine with us worshiping sloth and this addiction. You see, laziness and apathy destroy the spirit and appease your idol of self as much as any addiction ever will don't kid yourself because i sometimes do is that i go oh, i'm not addicted to that kind of stuff i mean i'm not addicted to that i'm just i just like to sleep i just really like to have some me time i mean i just really need my me time you know calgon take me away that kind of that's what i need 
I need some time alone and, and I don't need to, I can't quite pour in other people's lives. See, laziness can rip apart our lives as we worship it as much as anything. Another way, another thing that can, can show itself is vanity. We've already seen that our body issues, whether it's addictions or sloth, are really just a worship dysfunction. We're worshiping something, uh, so, something or someone other than God. And with vanity, what we begin to do is we do a good thing. We start to take care of the temple. We, we do a good thing. We start to, to care about the adornments of the temple. We do a good thing. We start to really maintain the temple. But sometimes we can go to the extreme. And where we find ourselves is that we begin to worship the temple. We begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. You know, God set up the temple not so that we could worry so much about the temple, but God set up the temple to be an active place that we can meet with Him, and it's an act of worship towards Him. And with vanity, what we see is it's a worship dysfunction. And Jesus saw this in a little bit different way, but He saw this sort of, the same kind of thing with the Pharisees. And He talked to them in Matthew chapter 23. It says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you are also outwardly, you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, what Jesus saw is these people who were so concerned with the outward appearance. They were so concerned with everything that the adornments of the temple that they forgot that there was dead stuff. He says, you're like a whitewashed tomb. In other words, you're, you're a tomb that has a dead body in it and you've made sure that it looks really pretty on the outside, but you are dead on the inside. You've probably seen this or maybe you struggle with it with people that get so concerned about looking perfect, so concerned about making sure they look younger than they really are. Maybe you hear them, they go, oh, that's a terrible picture of me. It doesn't even look like me. And you go, oh, no, no, it does. It looks, it looks exactly like you. You're old. You're, you're getting older. Things start to wrinkle and sag. It's okay. That is all right. And, and so they, they, they spend all this time stretching stuff and making everything look better when on the inside they've put no attention to the detail and they're dead. And see, we begin to think that this, this, the standard that our society has set up of what healthy is really is healthy and it becomes vanity. And what it really becomes is worship of self to worship the creation rather than the creator. And that is idolatry as much as any addiction, as much as any laziness. We have to watch that in our lives because it can really take hold, take root in us. So what we have is a worship problem. With all these things, it's a worship problem. You don't have an eating problem. You don't have an addiction problem. You don't have a motivation problem. You have a worship problem. And that you're worshiping someone or something other than God. Here's a little test that I begin to take in my life. Here's a little test to see if you have idol worship in your life. Where do you put your time, your talent, and your treasures? Where do you put them? I mean, look at your time. Where do you, what do you spend your time working towards and doing? What, what The talent that God has given you, where do you invest it? What do you put it into? The treasures that you have, your checkbook, where does most of it go in your life? The answer to that question will tell you what you worship. 
And for me, sometimes it's not an easy thing to look at because I have to confront the fact that I'm using my temple for idolatry and idol worship. And here's the problem with idols. Here's the problem with these little gods. They lie. They lie to us. They tell us that they will solve our problems. They tell us that everything will be okay and our hearts begin to cling to something or someone other than God. And Romans 1, 24, 25 tells us that what God finally has to do is it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We start to worship these little gods, and they lie to us. Our addictions tell us that they will fix our problems, and they just create more problems. Our laziness tells us that it will make us stronger because we will get some rest, and it just makes us weaker and lazier. Our vanity says we're taking care of the temple and that it's an act of worship, when indeed, sometimes it can become an act of self-worship. See, idols promise things they can't deliver. Look at Proverbs 5, 3 through 5. It says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. This is talking about the the idol of adultery specifically, but I think the principle expands to all the idols we've talked about in Proverbs. He says, For the, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path that she owes. In other words, you think it's going to drip honey, you think it's going to be wonderful but our idols lie to us and in the end what we think is going to turn out so sweet turns out very bittersweet and it begins to destroy our lives because it cannot give us the satisfaction and the fulfillment that worship of God does because we were made to worship we were created to worship but we were created to worship God and only God so what do we do about these idols when John, his, his first letter, First John, is the second letter, actually, he, he tells at the very end of the letter, very end of the letter, he says one little statement because John knew that the church was going to struggle with this. And he says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It almost seems like one of those things, kind of way he's writing to the church, he's writing to, to Christians, and he's saying all these things about how to live their lives and how to follow Christ and be fully devoted to Christ. And he says all these things, and then at the end, this last little statement, because he knows that it will affect them, he says, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols means keep yourselves from trusting, obeying, and following. That is, in effect, worshiping anyone or anything other than God himself. And his son, Jesus Christ, keep yourself from idols. How do we do that? I mean, this is great. We say, okay, I've identified a couple idols in my life. I'm thinking through it, but how do I do it? Here are a couple ways that we can prepare our temple to be authentic and real worship of the one true God. The first one is physical disciplines. To have some physical disciplines in our lives. In Philippians 1.20, it says, It is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's another interesting flashback to the temple. The place of worship had to be maintained with great care because it enclosed the very glory of God. Madeline Lee Engel says this, 
The incarnation was a total affirmation of the dignity of the body. And Paul goes on to emphasize that we are, moreover, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. If we abuse or reject or ignore our bodies, we are abusing and rejecting and ignoring the temple. Now, I don't know about you. But as I read that and I think, yeah, Jesus was put into a body. I mean, Jesus came in the form of a body and he took care of that body. It was the temple. And now God has given us these temples. We're supposed to take care of these bodies. But I struggle with this. I mean, I really do. I, I, I struggle with, with, with what it means to physically take care of my body and not to go over into the vanity side. And I'm, I am up and down with, with taking care of my body. I mean, there are sometimes when I just pour things into my body like it's a trash heap. I mean, I remember the little sign when I was in elementary school that says, you are what you eat. And that's scary sometimes for me because that means I might just turn into a Krispy Kreme donut at any moment. I mean, just if I start walking around and you go, he looks like a Krispy Kreme donut, the sign was true. And I struggle with it. But recently, I've been just examining this and through this series even, not even just this weekend, but through this series going, all right, I, I've, God's left me here for a purpose. I want to be here as long as I can be. And so I'm realizing that taking care of my body is an act of worship. To be balanced in this issue for me is a very much an act of worship. It's an example to my children to show them that God gave us these bodies and I should take care of it. It's the responsible thing to do for my wife. As I've been confronted with what it can do to my health if I don't take care of it and getting some information about just some genetic things that I have in my life and as far as my heart, I'm learning that I need to take care of myself. It's a responsible thing to do for my family. See, she said for better or for worse, but I'm guessing she wanted for better and not for worse. She said till death do us part and I'm thinking she'd like me to keep that as far away as possible. And so it's a responsible thing to do for my wife. It makes me more productive when I eat well, when I when I take care of my body, it makes me more productive. I get more done. And God has me here for a reason. I'm not dead yet. And He has me here for a purpose. And it allows me to do that. It makes me more on purpose when I take care of my body. And what I'm learning is that 45 minutes on the treadmill for me and, and, and lifting some heavy things can be an act of worship. Not just because I listen to a sermon or, or worship while I'm doing it. Not just because of that. But the very act of taking care of my body is an act of worship. Because God gave me this body and He wants me to steward it. And He wants me to take care of it. The second way that we can see, the second thing we can do, is corporate worship. I mean, He created our bodies to be a temple. The temple is involved in corporate worship. Look back to Romans 12.1, just the very first part of that. It says, in view of God's mercies. Richard Foster kind of wrapped that like this. It says, worship is our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. There, there should be, when, when we're able to worship through these bodies, there, there, God created our emotions. He created everything within our bodies and how it works. And there should be this sense of emotional awe when we, when we worship God in corporate worship. I heard someone say that when you see the Bible talking about awe, it's because it's something that you see, something that God is doing that literally makes you go, oh, it's unbelievable. I remember in 1995 looking down about a 50 foot, uh, foot uh, long aisle and, and this beautiful woman walking down the aisle. It was my bride and seeing her and going, oh, 
I get to spend, this will be the first night of the rest of my life, every night spending with her. There was this emotional response that happened that God created as I realized that, that there was this awe moment. You see, God created these bodies to have an emotional experience, to be able to, to feel Him. And, and music for me during corporate worship really helps to kind of, kind of wrap that up. I'm very musical. I love music. And so music is this kind of oil that, that takes all of that emotional response and is able to wrap it up. And, and there's this experience that's almost mystical experience during corporate worship as we are singing together that I'm able to have and, and able to, to kind of feel God in, in a different way and to hear from God. And see, for me, corporate worship begins to, to look like something where because I am so musical, I, I tend not to, to sing as much because I can get wrapped up in, in singing and then it becomes something that's about me. And so I find myself getting very, very still before God. I find myself sometimes just kind of letting God speak to me through the emotions that I feel through the music and really maybe examining the words that I see on the screen and allowing that corporate worship to be a way that my, the temple can be a part of temple worship and that I am worshiping the true God. Here's a couple of things that I'm learning about corporate worship as I've been examining this is my idols can distract me during this time. I can begin to think about them and can begin to worry about them or I'm I'm taken to pulling my my smartphone out and kind of looking and making sure nothing's going on there and, and I have to very be very disciplined not to let my idols distract me. But I do find this, I find that I'm better when I participate. For some of you, maybe this, just this weekend will be to examine that and go, you know what, sometimes we kind of scoot in late, we kind of leave early, not very musical. You may say, I listen to sports radio and talk radio, I'm just not a music guy or a music girl. I would say God created your emotions. Just Maybe you just can open that up just a little bit more. Maybe not the whole way. And, you know, you're not going to start jumping up and down this week or anything like that. You, you maybe won't raise your hands. or But maybe you just open it up just a little bit and allow God to use the temple, those emotions, through music and through corporate worship to be able to speak to you. Just consider that maybe as a response this weekend. And then the third thing is spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines in our lives can begin to allow this temple to, to be able to have temple worship towards the one true God going on. We've talked about worship and celebration already. It's a spiritual discipline in our lives to make sure we're involved in it. Another is study and prayer. To be able to use the intellect that God has given us. To be able to, to be alone and to study and to pray and to ask God during that time of study and prayer to teach us and to mold us into who He wants us to be. That's an act of worship when we take time to read our Bibles and study and to pray and to be able to, to have this spiritual discipline in our lives. It gets a silence. There's silence from the noise as a spiritual discipline. While we're studying and praying, may we take time to go, I'm going I'm to block out everything else and just concentrate on temple worship for just a few minutes. And then for many of us, we've seen the spiritual discipline of fasting in our lives over the last several weeks. And, and I would encourage you, something I've, I've been thinking is, I think I should do this more often. The Bible said, when you fast and pray, not if you fast and pray. It said, when you fast and pray, do this. And I think that it's something I've missed in my life because I've learned a lot about myself over this fast. What I have fasted has showed me a lot about myself. 
what I was willing to fast. It, it kind of bubbles stuff to the top and, and what I knew, just you know, cherry picking some easy stuff. This is the stuff I need to fast in my life. Here's another thing that this fast, this time has shown me kind of bubbled to the top is what I did not fast showed me a lot. The, the things I rationalized and said, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fast those this time. Uh, caffeine doesn't bother me. I mean, it's no big deal. I just intravenously take it throughout the day. I mean, it's, it's, it's no big deal. You know, it's not a big deal. What I didn't fast, maybe what you didn't fast can show us a lot. And so throughout the year to be able to say to our bodies, it's an act of worship to say, I'm going to deprive my body of something because it can't be an idol to me. I don't want to worship that idol through this temple. I want to worship God. And so fasting can teach us so much. So, so what will we do with all of this? What will we do with this whole series? Why aren't you dead yet? And then kind of exposing it to the end that sometimes we worship in this time that God has given us idols. The first thing that you might do is to deny your idol exists. Some of us have been doing that for a long time. We've gotten good at it. We just deny it exists. We, can, we continue this self-inflicted enslavement. And maybe what you need to do is just ask, your que- ask yourself a question and say, am I in denial? You know, it's hard to answer that question yourself. Maybe what you need to do as an act of response is say to someone that you love and you know loves you, say, am I in denial? Is there an idol in my life? What or who do I worship other than God? But the second thing we can do is to deny our idol access. To deny our idol access. Something may have surfaced during this message or during the fast for you. And you say, you know what? I need to deny it access in my life. I need to get wise counsel around me. I need to get a team of people who will support me. I need to go to a, a, a recovery class. Whatever it may be for you in your life to say, I am going to deny that idol access so that there is room for God to breathe and move and be worshipped in the temple that is my body. That's one of two responses that we'll have. And you'll have one or the other. You'll either deny that you have a problem with an idol or deny access to it. The question is, who or what will you worship? Not whether you'll worship, because you're already worshiping something. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you chose to give us these bodies as a place that you would live and breathe and meet with us. And so, God, I pray that we would be good stewards of these temples, that we would take care of them, that we would maintain them. And God, I thank you that you give us that opportunity. Father, I thank you that you showed us through the incarnation of Jesus, through him coming into a body as a man, that you value the body. And God, I... I praise you that you allowed that body to be broken, to be put on a cross, and that Jesus died so that we could have this temple worship. Father, I pray that during this response time, anything you have bubbled up to the top would would just surface and that, God, we would deal with it and take care of it as an act of worship. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.